Hello and welcome to the Theories of Change podcast. My name is Ben Walker. Now, on this show, we invite participation from leading thinkers and practitioners in the field of international development, ranging from water and sanitation engineering to post-disaster reconstruction to evaluations in conflict-affected environments. Now, on today's episode, we're going to be looking at the challenges of evaluating research and communicating that information to decision makers. Uh, Development programs and research generate lots of data and information and recommendation, but what does that data mean? Was it rigorously obtained or how was it produced? And a second part of that and leading on from that is how do we use this information to influence policy and future development programs to make a bigger impact? Now, joining me to discuss this is Megan Lloyd-Laney and Dr. Tamsin Bradley. Now, Megan is the co-founder and director of Comms Consult, a specialist communications consultancy working in the global development sector on research communications, uptake and impact. Now, Megan has worked with institutions, government bodies, think tanks, NGOs, researchers and the media to establish effective communication strategies and deliver services that maximize the impact of research. Welcome to the program, Megan. Thanks, Ben. Good to be here. Uh, now, my second guest is Tamsin Bradley. She is a reader in International Development Studies at the University of Portsmouth. She's worked on gender projects for over 15 years and has 10 years experience managing large-scale international research programs, in- including coordinating data collection and analysis process, ensuring the quality control of research, and also the production of academic articles, policy briefs, and organizational reports. And she's also conducted uh, some short-term consultancy for both DFID and the EU on gender, culture, and development. Welcome to the program, Tamsin. How are you? Thank you. I'm good. Thanks. Uh, now, Tamsin, I might start with you. So at a very sort of broad level is how we're trying to sort of frame this discussion. What, what do you see as some of the main challenges of evaluating research? Is it the forms that it comes in or something like that? I think there are multiple challenges. I think the first um, challenge is really how to fully uh, communicate an appreciation of how how difficult it is to collect um, data in these really challenging um, contexts. So, you know, it's one thing to assess research outputs, but I think part of that assessment really needs to reflect the in-country challenges, particularly when working in a developing context, research Mm. capacity in-country tends to be um, quite uh, poor, or at least it can be. There are certainly regional differences in terms of some countries will have stronger in-country capacity than others. So in terms of assessing research, that needs to to feed into um, how we think about the contribution of a particular um, project. So that's certainly one one element of, of the challenge. The second, I guess, is because evidence comes in many different forms, from methodological contributions to the actual data itself. And sometimes it's not primary data, it can be secondary data. So the challenge really is to stand back and be able to draw from a piece of research what is original and think about how how that originality maps to particular gaps in our global knowledge. In terms of uh, using this research, we, you want to look at also something called research uptake. So why is that important to look at? So as Tamsin says, you know, it's difficult enough to 
do the research well in a way that that builds the confidence of those hearing the research that actually it's been robustly generated, that it is significant, that it fills a gap in our understanding around these various topics. So that's stage one. If the research then sits on the shelf somewhere or sits in the hands of those that have generated it and their close family members, then the results don't get visibility. They're not going to be used if no one knows about it. So research uptake is all around looking at the strategies by which those generating the knowledge are thinking about for whom is this knowledge useful? Who needs to know what I now know and what do we need them to do about it? So is it that policymakers simply don't know this finding and therefore their policies are never going to be good enough? Or is it that practitioners are not using the latest evidence on what we know works and doesn't work in these challenging contexts. So research uptake is essential if we're going to make value for money out of the global research that is being commissioned around the world. What, for example, what would be some indicators you would use when measuring sort of this research uptake and the impact of research? Yeah, so that kind of cuts to the, to the chase, Ben. So mm. we can look at two or three um, perspectives on it. So one is, have the the researchers looked at identifying who needs to know, who is working in this sector, who might consume the knowledge and might be able to enact it or work on it. So you can look at the the design of what are people trying to do to make that research visible in the first place, putting it in the repositories and the databases where the users are already looking and piggybacking on the kind of conveyor belts that ordinary people use to communicate their information. So to what extent are they using the media? To what extent are they getting it in the um, the hands of the academic circuits that are looking for information and, and breaking news on this information? So we can look at the supply side, if you like, what is being done to communicate effectively and engage with the right audiences. And then we can look at the more demanding sides of, so is the research being noticed? So who actually is is accessing the information, who's downloading the reports, who are going to the conferences where these these pieces of research are being communicated. Those are kind of the intermediary indicators. And then finally, in uptake terms, is the information being accessed? Is it being understood correctly in the way that the researchers are are meaning for it to be understood? And thirdly, is it being used? And that is the holy grail of research uptake and often doesn't happen at the same time as the research is happening. It happens after the research has been done and communicated and it seeps into the kind of infrastructure of people's thinking. Hmm. So does when you're sort of looking at, say, or designing, say, a research uptake strategy, this is sort of a question for a little bit of both of you there, does that Obviously, that would change depending on the audience and the, sort of the, the type of research it is or the purpose of the research. Is, some, is sometimes research more sort of like, is it, try, is it um, more activist in a way, like you're trying to reach certain people more quickly? Like, does that sort of change the strategy? So I think that's right. It depends on the research itself. So if you're doing research on um, the use of aggregates that are best value for money when building roads in saline environments or in the Middle East where there's no, then you have a constituency that's very limited. You're looking at engineers, you're looking at road builders, you're looking at town planning departments that are looking for value for money. So you're 
your audiences to whom you're communicating depend on what it is that you're trying to communicate and who you think is interested in that. I wouldn't, for example, go and find out about aggregates in roads. It's not my bag, not interested. I don't have That's a mandate. Very, very niche audience. <laughs> exactly. But if you're looking at, for example, um, ways in which you can include marginalized women, for example, and how you get their participation to help understand how they can be included in democratic processes or in empowerment programs, you then are looking at different types of audiences and you have to understand where they get their information and how you can reach them, probably not directly you as a researcher, but how you can use others who are already engaging with those communities. Mm. So that's how I would look at it. Tamsin, you might want to talk about different types of research and different audiences. Yeah, I think, I mean, bringing a sort of academic perspective into it, I think we always want to have an impact at the level of discourse as well as at the level of intervention and at the level of, of the sort of political um, situation on the ground. So it's really a kind of dual approach. Some, some academics might see their uptake just purely as being a theoretical contribution that's shaping how people approach a particular issue, helping to shape a particular sort of critical lens to ask important critical questions of a, of a scenario. Um, whilst others are very much focused on trying to extrapolate um, evidence or data that helps us understand why a particular policy works. And is that shaped by a context or is it something that actually can be applied in more of a universal um, way? So I think research is often um, pointed in a particular direction. It doesn't necessarily do, um, do everything at the same time. And I think what is also frustrating um, from an academic perspective is that we are obviously concerned to produce rigorous um, evidence, data that has or will have significance, but that doesn't necessarily mean it will have an impact. So you can put on the table what you see to be a fantastic, extensive piece of research and yet nobody's interested in it. Um, and that can even be if you've packaged it in a neat way, the summaries are there, you know, non-technical language, it still may not have the influence that you want it to have. And that's because research ultimately is being communicated within a political and economic context that mm. carries its own agenda. Yeah. Is that is that a problem that comes across when uh, that sort of political aspect of research, like who's who funds the research, who does it? that obviously would feed into when you're evaluating that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think in, in certain contexts, particular funders are not well received. So any research that that is branded with that um, funder's mm. uh, you know, logo, as it were, is, is not necessarily going to be received as well as research that seems to come um, from another organization so I think that has to be borne in mind certainly um, and these are not necessarily um, skills or lessons that academics are particularly uh, good at which is why working with people like Megan is has been such a fantastic opportunity because it's yeah. also about learning all the time you know how we get important findings you know out there in the world. When you're sort of looking at, say, sort of you're doing, a, say, a worldwide sort of program or something like that, you're obviously going to get this sort of big sort of variance in terms of the quality of research and where it's coming from. 
different sort of country contexts. Um, how, how are you able to sort of maintain sort of uniformity and comparability in that sort of sense? In the context of the What Works um, program, we've adapted the research excellence framework that's used in the UK to assess all academic outputs from a higher education um, institute. So we've taken the four categories inside that framework. So rigor, significance, reach, impact. And we have slightly adapted those so that our application of that framework is sympathetic to the goals of the What Works program. So we're concerned to really pull out you know, the, the publications that are really critically filling knowledge gaps that needed to be filled and then make links between filling those gaps and then the impact that that research might have into the future in terms of shaping policy, um, shaping um, the flow of money into particular types of um, interventions. But also, as I, as I said before, that impact also has to look at legacy. So mm. what are the legacy? that can be identified from a research and that comes down also to building capacity in country the research capacity yeah. to build tools of researchers who can go forward and generate really good um, methodological frameworks for doing evaluations and, mm. and can work on their own and do not need to constantly be working um, with, with academics outside of their context yeah. So you mentioned the sort of the What Works program there, which you're both working on with us here at IMC. So right, just to sort of give people a bit more context around that, this is a three-year evaluation to looking at what works and violence against women and girls. Um, it's a different program. And so what sort of research uh, outputs does this um, program produce and sort of what audiences are we, uh, that sort of thing, as we mentioned before, you know, coming up with a strategy for uptake, what sort of audiences is this sort of looking to get, looking to reach? I think it's pretty broad. So mm. the programme obviously is speaking again at the level of discourse. Mm. So it wants to have an impact in terms of academic thinking mm. and push forward that thinking, particularly obviously around violence against women and girls. But it's it's been very refreshing to see that there certainly um, the outputs are prioritising um policymakers prioritizing the wider sort of practice um, community so that there is a balance of different um, publications and I, and I think that's really important. Yeah no I agree and the other thing I think that is fairly unique in this program is that there is a, a very broad span of different types of research so yeah. some there's an evaluation component to most of the program so what they're doing is saying we know that there are these interventions and different ways of tackling the perception or the behaviours or attitudes of societies and communities around ending violence against women. So let's have a look at some of them that we think are successful and let's evaluate them so that we can generate this robust and trustworthy independent research that says, so does this intervention of, for example, working in schools to stop people forming the kinds of views that might normalize violence, how, to what extent does that work in this context? And what, what can we transfer and share lessons with others? So there are looking, there's some evaluation work that looks at existing interventions. And then there's also a, a cluster of programs that are saying, let's look at developing a new innovative approach that we also then can evaluate. So 
Across the portfolio, there are lots of different types of research that we can not only say, let's communicate the findings of this particular intervention in Nepal to people in Nepal working on ending Mm -hmm. violence or challenging domestic abuse, but also engaging with the policymakers to say, so here's the evidence. This is what we found. This is what the policies of Nepal do to support or undermine this successful initiative. What can we do in Nepal to make women safer? So at that national level, you can do something, but also reading across the portfolio, you can start looking at patterns. So Mm. what looks as though there are some approaches that seem to be working in very different contexts, what can we then tell the community around what are the core building blocks that that Mm. might have relevance and resonance elsewhere? Yeah. And on that, on that note, you, um, Megan, you also work on a website called Research to Action, which looks at this sort of research, sort of c- compiles all this knowledge. Um, can you talk a little bit about that, sort of why this was established? Yeah, so about 10 years ago, when the whole policy environment for communicating research and maximizing the impact of, you know, the value for money of, the, of what we invest in research maybe wasn't good enough, there became an appetite for people wanting to unpack how it is you can communicate research and engage with audiences and be strategic about how you got uptake became to to become useful. And there wasn't anywhere that you could go for researchers who thought, yep, I agree with that. We need to understand a little bit more how you do that and how you evaluate that. So we set up a site called Research to Action, that is just that, what it says on the tin. It's about saying, how do we, under what circumstances, communicate at what stage of the research cycle, to what types of audience, with what types of research? How do we go about doing it? So it's not an academic site. It's a very practical site that says, let's share some experiences. Let's put all the toolkits that we know are quite useful at, for example, segmenting your audiences or engaging with the media around sensitive issues. How do we do that? And we put that all together on a, on a, a mm. public domain site and we grow. We do things like this. We do podcasts. We do webinars. We try to engage the community struggling with this challenge to talk to each other about what seems to work where and what advice would I give you if you're just starting out. Is there, I suppose um, what I sort of want to finish on is uh, in terms of this entire sort of process, what do you see as sort of like if someone is, uh, if the sort of donors are looking to sort of uh, look, generate more of this research or like generate this research better or analyze this research better, what, what things should they look at the most? It's a broad question, but it's a good question to ask. I would say we need to do three things. One, they would need to do three things. One is to encourage and I would say signal to researchers that they have to start thinking about engagement and the re- their research uptake ambitions right from the very beginning at the mm. point at when they are developing their research hypotheses they should also in parallel be thinking who would want to know this information when we've got the answers and how do we start engaging with them now so that when we do have the results they will already be primed and waiting to engage and discuss around them so first of all start early Mm. the second i think is about saying this is neither rocket science nor is there a silver bullet 
So it's mm. not that we don't, researchers don't already do an awful lot of this strategic thinking. Neither is it that we can tell them, do these seven things and you will have impact with your research. It's somewhere mm. in the middle. So it's the art and the science of research uptake. And by talking to each other at various different levels of, you know, there is some experiential evidence of people who have done this and there's some academic research about how to do this. So that's where the secret lies. And then it's just getting on with it and being reflective as you do it. And thirdly, we need to grow the evidence around how research uptake is being effectively tackled. To what mm. extent is it successful? In what contexts? And let's produce some evidence that academics respect about how you do it. Because academics tend to listen to other academics. Mm. If you don't generate advice and wisdom for them that's framed in academic language, they tend to think it's light and therefore it doesn't, it's not meaningful. So mm. I think we have to play that game that we promote, which is let's speak to people in a way that they understand and the way that they speak and then they will start to listen to the message so those are the three things i think so if some if our listeners are sort of interested more interested in this topic um this is sort of throwing out to both of you sort of where can people go to sort of learn more about sort of say like evaluating research or research uptake i assume they can visit research to action they can indeed and i would plug that i think there are also other places so the evaluation community is increasingly interested in how you evaluate this component of research uptake. What are the tools and methodologies as evaluators that we can use? And that's a growing science. Mm -hmm. So we presented, Tamsin and, uh, and the, the evaluation team presented at the UK Evaluation Society earlier this year. So I think evaluation um, forums are increasingly trying to get their heads around this. And I would also look there. Tamsin, where do you go? I go to you, Megan. <laughs> so, and also other sort of communication specialists that I work. I mean, I've been very blessed in the sense that I work on um, applied research projects and we tend to always have a communication uptake specialist as part of the mm. part of the team. And I think that's the difference is that within the academy, there are those of us who work in a very applied way. So we are very receptive. Um, we understand the need for uptake because it's a heart and soul essentially of what mm. we want our research to be about. It doesn't mean we're very good at it, but mm. we at least embrace um, the concept and then there's those that are very much at the other end that think that applied research somehow is watering down what we're supposed to be about mm. so there's an interesting tension I think it's less so than it used to be when I first um, started out yeah. um, but yet where do I go I go to Megan <laughs> that's so great so if you want to say I assume they can uh, uh, they can follow you both on Twitter or we can they can check you out online Oh, so I would say uh, researchtoaction.org, Ben mm -hmm. is the address of R2A. We have a very yeah. big uh, and active Twitter following at research2action with mm -hmm. the number two in the middle and that that convenes some lists of other activists mm. and people who are quite high profile in, in the field of research uptake. So I would start there and then follow the stream. Twitter is mm -hmm. an, an incredibly effective way of listening and finding communities mm -hmm. who are speaking about these types of topics. So I would I would go I would start there. 
That sounds wonderful. That was uh, Tamsin Bradley and Megan Lloyd Langley talking with me, Ben, on the Theories of Change podcast. As you say, interesting learning more, all those things will be in the description of the show. And you can learn more about IMC at imcworldwide.com. You can find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube on some variation of IMC. I trust you will to find it. And you can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcast. Thank you very much, Tamsin and Megan, for joining me today. That was a really good discussion. I, I actually really personally enjoyed that. You, you sound me. surprised. No, no, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> Thanks very much, Ben. No, thank you very much.